Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. Uh, so good to see all of you here. And thank you very much, uh, Anna, for reading. I always love hearing scripture. She made fun of me. I thought today would be the first time I'd seen her since the, ever, but she corrected me, and I've met her many times, and she just reminded me that I've forgotten. So I apologize for that. Um, I really am glad to see all of you. If, if this is the first time you've come to visit with us in person, my name is Abe, um, pastor here. Uh, we'd love to get connected with you, so come by after the service, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, I know I've met one person so far. Um, if you are new online, uh, first time watching, we ask you to go to our website, cotb.life, just tap the connect with us button there, or you can just text COTB to 97000 and we'll get you connected to our small groups and our community as a whole, our family here at COTB. Uh, today's message is potentially going to be a little long, so let's dive right in. If you would, I want to start with prayer. So if you could bow your heads with me, we'll lift this time up to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the space for us to gather together for the sake of your beloved children. And we gather, we're not anxious um, about anything, but at peace with everything, for you are God's sovereign. May the words of my mouth forever be a conduit of your truth alone, God, and may this time be enlightening to your beloved children and satisfying to you, God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So my wife, Suzette, and I, we've been actively involved with a missions organization that the Church of the Beloved uh, partners with. It's called Hands at Work in Africa. We've been involved with it for uh, nearly, not quite yet, a, de- a decade. And this organization, just to give some context, it provides what they call scaffolding or support for local churches to be able to, to support, to love, and care for widows and orphans impacted by the ongoing AIDS pandemic in Zambia and a number of other sub-Saharan African countries. Uh, last year, there was a team of your, of our uh, beloved sisters and brothers, and we were intending to go and spend time uh, in the small community called Susu that we are supporting here at Church of the Beloved outside of Zambia's capital, uh, Lusaka. Then the pandemic hit and all travel stopped. We decided that the only, the best thing that we could do was pray, and that's what we did, and that's what we do now. Since early 2020, uh, we've been gathering every Monday night to pray for these orphan children and for the local volunteers at church, churches who are caring for them. Now, I announced a few weeks ago that after a long wait and a lot of prayer, we were going to be able to go in person uh, to spend time with the local Christians in Susu, to encourage them for the, in the amazing work that they're doing for these vulnerable kids, feeding them, introducing them to the gospel and the love of Jesus, loving them. Unfortunately, um, 
last week saw a sudden surge of COVID cases there. They went from an average of less than 50 a day to just the last report was over 3,000 a day. Then we learned that Dubai, the country that we were going to travel through, basically stopped all transit from Zambia. So the travel has stopped. So the only thing, the best thing that we can do is pray. And we're going to do that. We're continuing to do that. We continue to gather every Monday, every Monday night to do that for the children there. And I'll explain why I share that story in a bit, but over the last few months, we've been taking this journey uh, through this letter from Paul to the Philippians, this epistle of joy. We're coming towards the end of it, and you'll notice that Paul's cadence in this letter is starting to, to pick up. There's not too many analogies, no more metaphors, really. It's just conclusions. He says, I urge you to reconcile with each other. I encourage you to rejoice. I entreat you to be reasonable. I direct you to pray. There's so much going on in this last chapter. Uh, that we're going to try to focus on small chunks at a time. We're not going to cover the entire chapter today. We're going to break that up for the last three weeks of this sermon series. Um, but I want to focus on just one main point that has three little bullets to it. But basically this, finding Jesus's joy, re- being able to rejoice, it comes through reconciliation, through reasonableness, and through reliance. And let's look at those three, uh, starting with verse 2. I want to break it down a bit. It says there, I entreat you, Iodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche. I, read, I use the Christian Standard Bible, and the word they use there instead of entreat is urge. I urge you, Iodia. I urge you, Syntyche. And the first thing I note is that this is not a command on Paul's part. This is a plea from Paul to his beloved sisters, his, his fellow co-workers for the Lord. He's telling them, hey, hey, you two, you two need to work out your differences. I, I, I urge you both to agree in the Lord. So that leads us to our first point, which is that ultimately rejoicing comes through reconciliation. This, this letter, this epistle of joy is showing that our ability to rejoice in Jesus, it includes, must include, reconciliation with the body of Christ. That's what, what Paul is calling for here. This, see, this letter has been all about the church of Jesus being unified in their diversity so that they can fully realize Jesus' joy. And the church in Philippi is going, will find their Jesus' joy by joining together as one body. And in this idea, this philosophical concept, he's bringing it down to the practical level now. Paul is bringing this down to uh, what I call street-level theology. See, Paul shows that the heady concept of Christian unity, it has to be worked on the ground, one disagreement at a time. Because he's asking for unity in the diversity between Yodia and Syntyche. Because rejoicing comes through reconciliation. Now, I'll tell you, I, I hope you'll indulge me. I want to take a slight tangent, just for a minute. Because I want to point out a number of observations in verses 2 and 3. There's, I, I just found them so fascinating. I really want to share them with you all. I, I'm hoping that they will spark discussions in your small groups and your community groups. And if you're not part of a small group yet, um, and you'd like to join one or a community group, just email info at cotb.life. We'll get you connected. And if you're interested in leading a small group, we're desperately needing new leaders too because... 
we're preparing to start new small groups. Uh, our church is starting to not only gather, but it's starting to grow. Uh, and there are a number of folks who want to join small groups and so in different areas throughout the city. So if you want to, please email info at cotv.life. Anyway, moving back from that tangent, back to the original tangent that I had, I want to note something here. Paul does not take any sides when he calls out Yodia and Syntyche. Because he uses exactly the same words. I urge you, Yodia. I urge you, Syntyche. He doesn't even tell us what the issue is that they're arguing about. He doesn't need to. Because Paul is pointing out that there's something that needs to be addressed, absolutely, and that needs to, what needs to be addressed is not a primary point of theology. It's, it's all about camaraderie. Because here he tells us that every beloved person's name, every chosen child's name is written in the book of life, a book that's mentioned both the Old and New Testament. And this book, it includes the names of all of the elect, all of the beloved of God that's going to be spending eternity in the upside-down kingdom with Jesus. Basically, everybody in that book is family. Everyone in that book is part of the body of Christ. So there's a foundational understanding that cannot be ignored, which is that Yodia and Syntyche are still unified as family, even in their disagreement. I'll tell you, growing up, my dad used to get pretty angry at me um, because of the way my brother and I used to fight. If you have brothers, you probably have felt this yourself because you know, our fights, uh, unfortunately, often resulted in either hospitalization or some sort of medical treatment that was required. And we weren't known for having quiet arguments, um, you know, putting a dad joke out there. We could have been called the sons of thunder, like James and John, who are two of Jesus' disciples. But my, my father would look at me and he would exclaim to me in his broken English, his Korean accent, you have only one brother. And at the heart, see, at the heart of our arguments, every time I fought with my brother, whether and, and, and all the hospitalizations and all that that happened to us was this unrelenting, undeniable truth. We're family. We're always going to be family. He's always going to be my little brother. At the heart of Yodia and Syntyche's argument, at the heart of any dispute that you might be having with anyone else in this church right now, that's not based on the primary truth of the gospel. Anything that you're dealing with is this understanding. We're family. We're the beloved of God because of Christ alone together. A second observation um, that I find in these two verses is this, is that uh, Paul brings up this unspoken conflict publicly. It's in a letter that's being read to the entire church. Can you imagine? You're there sitting, uh, and, and you're with your friends. You're leaning in to listen better, and suddenly you hear, you hear your, your name. I, I urge you, Cuts, and I urge you, Eugenia. <laughs> I saw you look up. I, you hear your name, you're probably thinking, oh, wait, that's my name. I, I, let me listen. And then the, the shout-out after your name is this. Would you guys stop fighting with each other? That's going to be a little bit awkward. But Paul's not trying to be flippant. He's not trying to shame Yodia and Syntyche. Uh, he, 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 wants, he wants the listeners of this letter to understand that the private sins, those private disagreements between the beloved of God, it impacts all of the beloved of God. 
And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, it is the responsibility of the body of Christ to help move us towards reconciliation. In verse 3, Paul calls on the true companion, right? In the, the original Greek, it could have been somebody's name, uh, or maybe it's just supposed to be a descriptor. I'm not exactly sure. But regardless, Paul calls on the true companion to help Yodi and Syntyche resolve the differences between them. Paul's focusing here on the body of believers, not just those two, but the body of believers and the impact of their disagreement on the community as a whole, the family. Because sometimes the church needs to step in. Sometimes we can't just sit on the sidelines because we're family. And here's the last tangent. Um, And some people might be uncomfortable with what I'm about to share. These are two women, Yodi and Syntyche, who labored side by side side with Paul, fellow workers, co-laborers for the gospel. I don't want to gloss over this concept, and I don't want to overemphasize it, but this does jump out to me as I was reading this. And I will say with confidence, I don't think there's anybody in this church or who are listening that would argue against how much Christ upended the cultural view of female subjugation by raising up the role of women in the church. Women served side by side with men during the time when there was, that was not the norm. Women were and are absolutely rightly deemed equal. Christ broke down the walls that are, suppo- that are separating us now. Women are co-laborers for the gospel with Paul and with us here in Church of the Beloved. See, I grew up as a, what's called a complementarian. And that means that I grew up understanding that the correct interpretation of Scripture reserves the role of pastor and elder to men Uh, who are called specifically by God for that role. Not any guy, but some uh, men called to that role. But over the last few years, I've been having conversations with a number of people from our uh, Wicker Park campus. And I will admit to you, my understanding of this interpretation of Scripture is changing. This passage is not intended to speak specifically about the role of pastor or elder. It's not. But it does spark the thought in my mind of women who serve as co-laborers for the gospel. Of women who might be able or called to serve as pastors and shepherds in our church. And it's a conversation that I hope that we can have as a family. Because I want to have that conversation to understand it. That's enough with the tangents. I apologize. Let's go back to the message itself. Because I do want to talk about those three things. I know that might be a little bit shocking to share with some folks, but hopefully you're going to be okay with that. Um, the first point was rejoicing comes through reconciliation, right? As Yodia and Syntyche are called to reconcile with one another, one of the things they're called to do is not to do it by their own willpower, okay? Though they are called to act, they are called to reconcile. It is on them to agree, but they're called to agree in the Lord. They're called to agree in Christ, to agree with each other by the power of Jesus. Paul points out that true reconciliation is only possible by the power of the Savior. Now, they might have been able to give lip service to forgiveness, you know, pretend to be okay with each other, but the true transformative work comes from within by the power of the Spirit. That's reconciliation. So the first point is that rejoicing comes through reconciliation. The second is this. That rejoicing comes through reasonableness. In verse 5, it says this, Let your reasonableness 
be known to everyone. Uh, 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 reasonableness is a term used in the ESV, and it works well in creating this alliterative theme. You know, rejoicing comes through reconciliation, reasonableness, and reliance. But I actually prefer uh, some of the other translations. One says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Another says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Regardless, our call to, to reasonableness or graciousness or gentleness, what that means is this. It is a call or an unexpected response to bad situations. For example, if you're dealing with the anxiety of having to go back into the office, which I'm having to do nowadays, let your graciousness be known to everyone. If you're starting to freak out a little bit because suddenly the CTA is starting to fill up with people again, which is never a good thing in the hot summer heat, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. If you're annoyed with the vitriolic videos that your uncle or your mom keeps sending you, let your gentleness be evident to everyone. See, see we're called to live uh, a life that exudes reasonableness by the power of Christ, by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, an unexpected response to bad situations. And this is not something that is supposed to be limited to our family in Christ. This is not something that we're called to practice only among our church, or among our, our beloved. It is to everyone. It's to all. It is to be made known to all around us. Our words and our lives are intended to be a witness of the magnificent grace and mercy of Jesus Christ so that the world might be able to see the joy of Jesus and experience it in their lives through us. Our unexpected response to bad situations is intended to be a witness, our witness of God's mercy and God's grace to the point that those around us might want to experience it for themselves. This is why we seek rejoicing through reasonableness. This is why we strive for joy through gentleness. This is what we're called to do. So rejoicing comes through reconciliation with the body of Christ. Rejoicing comes through reasonableness, an unexpected response to bad situations. And finally, rejoicing comes from a reliance, a reliance on God. Reading verses 6 and 7, just picking up from verse 5, it starts off by saying, The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase, the Lord is near, other translations will say, the Lord is at hand. Theologians will look at that passage, uh, that phrase, and wonder or argue as to whether Paul is thinking that Jesus was coming soon or Jesus was literally nearby, whether Paul was focusing on time or space. I think that Paul loved nuance. I think he's actually focusing on both, on time and space. Because we understand God is present everywhere. The, the term is omnipresent, right? There's no place in the universe that God is not there. God is everywhere. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7 actually asks this of God. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, God? Nowhere. God is literally physically here with us right now in this place. And at the same time, 
the time of God's, the Lord's return, Christ's return is coming near as well. Though I, I, I get that there are some that think, well, I, I don't know about that one. I mean, you know, how can you say Jesus, God is coming soon or Christ is coming soon? It's been over 2,000 years. Peter answers that question in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where he wrote this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years, like a day. I'll tell you, uh, my wife and I, we started watching uh, uh, Loki on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's all about some time distortions and how uh, time doesn't work the same for this group of people called the TVA or the Time Variance Authority. I'll be very honest with you. Even though we don't fully get it, we don't fully understand the premise of the show, it doesn't stop it from being a very fun show. I, I'm, I'm, I like it so far, but I won't say any more about it because from what I understand, a lot of people like to just wait until the end of the season and then binge the whole thing at once. So I won't ruin it for you. But my point on bringing this up is this. Just because I or we may not be able to fully comprehend how time works for God, I cannot, I should not, and I must not limit God. I will not think that God is too far or too slow because his clock doesn't match mine. Because God is close. God is quick. In other words, because God is near, because Jesus is near in time and in space, we can rely on him. We can not be anxious. We can not worry. See, Paul tells us in this passage to not worry or, or, or anxious or some transition, don't be concerned. And I'll tell you, the concept of worry or anxiousness, anxiety or concern, the word in and of itself, especially if you look at the original Greek, it's not a bad thing necessarily. Because if you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes of how Timothy genuinely it has concern more for or cares for the Philippians' interests. And the word that is used there is the same word as used here in verse 6, worry. In the letter to the church uh, in Corinth, Paul writes of how the members of the body of Christ are called to have concern for one another. Again, using the same word for worry that's used in our passage today. And Jesus even lived out examples of positive worrying when he had compassion and concern for the whole world, weeping for Jerusalem, praying for the future beloved of God. So there are times when worry, concern, anxiety, when they're good. There are also times when it's not. So from a biblical perspective, there are moments when the genuine care and concern for others will be beneficial to our witness of and our growth in the gospel. And from a biblical perspective, there are going to be moments when that care and concern will cause an anxiety that will draw us away from God, away from his peace. In verse 7, it says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The bad anxiety comes when the peace of God is no longer guarding our hearts and mind. The bad worry comes when the contentment of Christ is no longer evident in our lives. And this type of anxiety, this type of worry, that's when it becomes sin. Another way to say it is this. If we allow the anxiety of life to remove the peace of God, we become 
functional atheists. So you may proclaim faith in the Almighty, but you live a life based on faith in yourself. That's functional atheism. You live a life that doesn't reflect the belief that God exists and that God is sovereign and that God is ruler of everything. You don't live a life that portrays the understanding that God has designed this world so that you might live worthy of your heavenly citizenship. And I'll be honest, it's not just you, because more often than not, it's me as well. I live as a functional atheist. Because the reality is, unfortunately, that living a life that's dependent upon me and my abilities is sometimes easier than living a life that is dependent on God and Christ's power within me because I can trust my education. I can trust my experience. I can trust my abilities. It's how I'm built. You know, reliance on the tangible things, the things I can see and touch, sometimes it's more viable an option than relying on the invisible, the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit. There's this great scene um, from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And for those of you who know this movie, uh, and for those of you who don't, that just frightens me. This was, it was, I just looked it up. It was, it was, from 1989, so I know there are people who were not born when that movie came out. Anyway, there's a scene where Indiana Jones has to cross this huge chasm, and he has to enter a room where he ultimately needs to select the cup that Jesus used for the Last Supper before his crucifixion. It's called the Holy Grail. Okay, and, but there was no way to actually cross this chasm. It's, it was just open air. There's no way to jump across. It's too far. There's no bridge. There's nothing. But he needs to be willing to cross that chasm with a faith that somehow he's going to be able to walk in midair. It makes no sense to him at all, though. But there's, there's nothing there. It's just open air. But then he takes the first step, and his foot lands on a stone bridge that had been invisible to eye because it had been painted in such a way that when he looked down, it looked like it was just open air. It was gorgeous, but it, so it was impossible to see. Reliance on the invisible supernatural workings of God through the work of the Holy Spirit requires a dependence and a faith in the things that may not be obvious to us, but are nonetheless there. And our faith in this, that, that our ability to see these things comes when the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and guards our minds. And this peace of God becomes the norm, becomes the reality of our lives through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. It comes when we just present our request to God and God provides. I'll tell you that I'm actually out of time for today. Um, I apologize. I know I'm over. But like I said, there's so much at, uh, at the end of this letter. We're going to spend the next few weeks as we close out this sermon series on this. But I want to leave you with this reminder. Rejoicing comes through reconciliation, reasonableness, and reliance. And at the heart of these is an understanding that the ability to reconcile, because we're a family unified in our diversity, the, the ability to be reasonable with unexpected responses to bad situations, the, the ability to rely on the understanding of the truth that our God reigns. All of this is not by my own or, or your own capability. It is in Christ. It is by the power of the Spirit within each of the beloved of God. And we can, we can proclaim that by coming to our dad, our father, with thankful hearts and grateful words in prayer. 
As I mentioned, we can't go to encourage the work of our fellow citizens of heaven in Zambia. As they practice true religion, caring for the widows and orphans, we can't go there. We cannot go to embolden the work of our family in the Philippines uh, at Maiden Hope as they love and uh, reclaim the young women and the girls uh, that were trafficked into slavery. We can't go to see the Spirit at work in the lives of our missionary partners in Japan and China. But we can pray. We can pray that the mighty work of God might be made evident in their lives. We can come to our dad. We can petition our father above and say to him, thank you. Thank you for giving us your son. I'm so glad that you came, Jesus, that you, that, so that together we might rejoice in you. And I say it again, rejoice. I will rejoice because your power, God, I know that we can, through that power, be reconciled to each other. I know that we can be reasonable for each other. And ultimately, I know that we can rely on you, God, through each other. I'm going to ask that we spend a moment now in prayer as we close out this message. We're called to find our joy in Christ, to be able to rejoice by reconciling with one another. By being reasonable, showing reasonableness and unexpected responses to bad situations. And by relying on our Savior. All of this is possible if we come to our Father in prayer. Will you take a moment to do that and then I'll close this. Precious Father, you are God, you are King, you are Lord, you are Redeemer, you are our friend. Thank you. And I pray that together, as a family, as a body of believers, we might come to you to rely on you, to give us the strength and the ability to constantly encourage and rejuvenate each other so that we can be reconciled with one another as a family and so that we might continue to seek out a reasonableness so that others might seek out the same joy that we have. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray.